Hello again, warriors. This is your host, Chanel of Women in Media Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. And today's guest is a Bay Area local music promoter. She's also a musician. She is the jack of all trades in the Bay Area. And she goes by Trixie Rasputin. And she has her own like startup company, Trixie Rasputin Presents. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that, her music music origins, how that progressed to her becoming a music promoter, and all these incredible local Bay Area bands she represents. What I admire about Trixie Rasputin is she is a completely humble, modest person, and you're going to definitely hear that in this interview. But before we play this interview on KCSS, let's listen to one of the many artists she represents. And here is Rose Hayes with her song, Edge of Something.
So one of my first questions was about your name, Trixie Rasputin, which now I've come to know sort of that it's more of a stage name. Yeah, that's true. Where um, did the name come from? It's just been with me for a really long time. I'm, I mean, I made it up, but I was just moved to San Francisco. This was back in 2004. Maybe it was early 2005, you know, so I wasn't that familiar as I am now with all the social media platforms. And I was just hanging out with someone sitting around like thinking, well, let's uh, like, let's start accounts on this thing called Facebook. And so I was just imagining like, well, what name could I use? And I mean, I wish there was more of a story to it, but that's kind of it. It was just like something that just kind of happened where I said, oh, that's kind of funny. Like uh, Trixie, Oh, Rasputin's like, you know, there was that music store that I had seen and I thought, well, that seems very San Francisco. So, yeah, yeah. It was funny because Rasputin being the record store that it is, I remember Rasputin as the villain in Anastasia. Yeah. (laughs) And it's the same person. They named it after that uh, Russian monk. Yeah. who there's controversial things about him. But to me, I think he was a very misunderstood person. So. (laughs) Well, yeah, I've done reading about that guy, Gregory. Yes. Because I thought, you know, once I realized where the name came from, I thought, well, I should understand it a little more too. I sort of liked it even more when I realized, oh, wow, you know, this is kind of the story of a person who came from nowhere and became extremely influential, Mm -hmm. like politically, but also culturally. So Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I realized that he's not necessarily viewed favorably in history, but just his way of life, like how he kind of, so they say, like would have orgies and, you know, kind of oh, yeah. political decisions for these people who were supposed to be in charge of an entire country. You know, it's just, I was like, wow, that would, to have that kind of an influence would be pretty cool. <laughs> This podcast is about highlighting what you do in the media, a little bit about yourself, and then what's in store for you. I know that your beginnings began, you know, you are a musician, you were playing piano, and then that progressed to you performing in bands, your own project, to now being a music promoter. So yeah, let's let's kind of talk about individually how that movement uh, moved forward to what you're doing right now. So all of that's correct. You've done great research. (laughs) I feel like you already know me. But yeah, I I got to San Francisco in 2004, pretty much started going down the the rabbit hole with uh, wanting to be a songwriter. And at the time I was playing music with someone who was a guitar player and he was playing the music and I was writing songs with him. And then I wanted to be able to play my own music. So I went back to taking piano lessons, which is something I'd done as a kid and had quit. So I sort of like picked that back up. A good friend of mine was teaching. So it was just like a natural thing where I went, oh, you're giving lessons. Like, can I take one? And then from there, I found other teachers. So I did that for probably like five years or so, um, some private instruction, like with different people. So during that time, I also got really motivated because I was writing so much material and I would go out and play on my own, just like sit in a cafe and play my songs. And um, I joined a couple bands and then it just kept going. You know, there just kept being that motivation inside of me. Like I've got to be in front of the audience. I've got to share my messages. And like way back then, like 2000 seven, eight, nine, I didn't feel like 
I really knew, well, how do you get like an album out to people? Like, how do you produce an album? How do you get a CD made? There was all these kind of technology issues that I had. And then like learning how Facebook worked was a big obstacle. I mean, it's, it sounds so ridiculous to say, but honestly, like trying to put together a Facebook event, like the first time I did that, it was hours of frustration where I remember almost crying because I just couldn't like, it wasn't user-friendly and I couldn't figure it out. You know, I'd get like almost there and then something would get, would say, oh, you know, cannot complete the request or error. And I'd be like, I just want to tell my friends I have a show. Why is this so hard? So it's just like today, it's so much easier today. There's, you know, this whole technological social media world. I find it pretty helpful and I find it pretty easy to navigate. So I consider that a real benefit for us as entrepreneurs and musicians. I was in two bands for the longest. Uh, One was my own project, Trixie and the Skates. The other one I was in at the same time was called the Mudlords. And now it's called Black Moon. So a couple of the same members moved over to this new band that I'm still part of. So those were, were like my major attempts being in the music business on the band side. I would always book shows for both of those groups. You know, I did like basically managed the bands. And so without really trying, I was like getting that experience, that expertise at understanding how to talk to venues, understanding how to deal with the door person that pays you at the end of the night and how to deal with the bartenders and, you know, just kind of finding a place in the industry locally. From there, it just made sense now, like post COVID, I had always wanted to start my own booking and promotions business, but before COVID, that was just beginning for me. And then now I just saw, okay, there's really a need like right now. There's no point in waiting to see if I can get a website or waiting to see, you know, how it goes with the bands that are happening. It felt like there's not going to be any waiting. I'm going to start booking the shows. And, you know, if I can get one booked, that will be a miracle. And it actually was much more simple than that, where once I started reaching out, the bands are ready, the venues are ready. And so my role I feel like it was laid out before me. It's like they just need somebody to connect all these pieces. So, yeah. And I like how you took action. You're like, I'm not going to wait for things to get better. Like, I'm just going to do everything myself. And then when you were telling me how, like, things were getting like very tech difficulty, I could imagine, like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to do the flyer thing. I'm going to do, like, you know, word of mouth, (laughs) old school, like, publicity. You know, you were saying how if you would be lucky if you at least book one band, but you're not booking one band, you have multiple bands on your uh, promoter list. And so how do these bands find you? Do you like mutually know them? Do you reach out? Like, how does that get put together? That's a great question. I I think I would say uh, my network was pretty wide before. And that was from being in in so many situations where I was at so many shows, I just knew bands from playing with them and from trying to play with them. So I felt like I had a pretty big network. However, a lot of those bands seem to have disappeared. They've, you know, COVID changed things for people. So people moved and bands are hard to keep together. Right now, I would say, you know, it kind of started with one specific band. The show that's coming up next is the Treasure Show with Silk Road Truckers and Alvy and the Breakfast Pigs. 
And that entire event really kicked off a lot of this for me because Silk Road Truckers records it, uh, Lucky Recording, and that's where Treasures also is, you know, working on their album that's coming out. So I already know Silk Road Truckers, those are like my friends from forever. Being in that environment with them, I was introduced to this new band and I knew, okay, they need to, to have a show. And so I just asked, hey, do you guys want some help maybe booking this gig? You know, it's going to be a big deal that you're producing this album. And they were like, yeah, sure. Okay. So it just gave me that opportunity to like kind of flex my muscles in that way, because I knew they wouldn't really know how to do it on their own. They're a new group and they have experienced some of them, but, you know, I just felt like I've got this specific expertise to make the connection with the venue and like sort of advocate for what they need as artists. So Albie and the Breakfast Pigs, the third band, I've known them for a long time. So it just kind of came together this one show. And then from there, that sort of empowered me to like, basically think to myself, well, I wonder who else needs a show. Like now that that one is kind of in the works, I have time to take on something else. And so I guess in the beginning, I was reaching out to other bands, but I feel like right now, only a couple months later, mostly bands are reaching out to me that want to play. And then I will reach out from there. If somebody says, Hey, you know, can you help us find somebody else for the bill? And it's not like I'm booking a show every two or three days. I have other events that I do need constant entertainment to have to provide that on a weekly basis. But that is also something I've been doing for the last five years or so. I don't have to necessarily reach out and say, hey, guys, like I have an event next week. Who can play? It's more at this point of a like hand selection from a large, large list of artists that I already network with. And it's not only just building a network, you're also like building trust with these yeah. artists, with these bands too. Now, like you were saying, some things you would have to handpick of like who's playing at what venue. So now how do you execute of selecting the venue and, and how does that, you know, go about when you're booking a venue and then, you know, all the process that goes into that? I think it starts with the venue that I would prefer I guess the knockout is one of my favorite places in the city. My band used to play there all the time. And Fred, who owns it, is awesome. There's just a community there. So it was like, okay, the knockout, that's something, of course, I would, a place where I would love to put on shows just because of the familiarity. But then there's Bottom of the Hill, which is just a place that most everybody in San Francisco knows about that likes rock and roll or underground music or, or kind of, you know, that level of, of musicians. We all love it. Amato's was suggested to me by the people at Lucky Recording. And I was interested, you know, I said, well, if they like it, it must be a good place because these are professionals that really know their stuff. So that's sort of like where the idea came from in the first place of like which venue and then the process of communicating with those venues. I mean, I had to go into it just like anybody would. It's like, okay, send over an email, you know, hope for the best. But once I got to talking with the in-house bookers like Lynn Schwartz, Bottom of the Hill, you know, it was more than just, hey, can you give me a show? I mean, I came to her with a pitch more or less. We also have some mutual contacts. And so it wasn't like really a cold call because I was right away able to say like, Hey, you know, 
this is who I know and how I'm already involved in the music industry. So there was that trust there to begin with, because I think she could tell right away that I wasn't just coming at it like, hey, I would love to, I have my name on something. You know, it was more like, I have some really great ideas for shows and I have a business plan for how we can make these shows work for everybody. In your email, you mentioned how you used to 
work very closely with your mentor, Scott Rogers. Now, what did you learn from him about the business? Wow. Well, everything. <laughs> I mean, I was amazed watching him work because his work was just an extension of himself, you know, but I think what I learned from him was like style. I mean, from everything from the way that he appeared, you know, the way he dressed and everything to just the types of bands that he would choose. He was very specific in his taste. He wanted to present one type of music because that was his niche. So anyways, I learned that from him to have like a style in the way of presenting things. So the idea of curation, I saw him do that. And he was just a natural because he knew so many bands. And I remember when he was booking my old band that he would start by asking me, well, you know, do you have any bands that you would like to create a show with? Like, do you have, you know, friends that are in a band that makes sense to go with you? And then if I wasn't able to bring anything to the table, he would say, okay, well, I've been, you know, listening to this band and I think you guys would be a good fit. Or there's this band that's trying to get a break. And I think they sound a little bit like you. Would you be willing to try and go on this gig? Like, how do you think that would work? So he was really good about collaborating with the artists to get the artists what they wanted and make sure that when everybody got to the show, that the show made sense. So it wasn't just three random bands in a room at once. I mean, those are the things I learned is, you know, do the curation properly, pay attention to what people's needs are, plan things out in advance. I mean, I can't stress that enough that he would have shows, you know, right now, if we're in September, he would be working on shows for January. He would say, I'd like to have all my shows finished for the rest of the year within the next two to three weeks. And then he had a specific way that he would do the payouts what band brings the biggest crowd? We want to make sure that they are compensated for that. But then if there was like a touring band, he'd say, well, we want to create a community and an environment where the other bands will maybe give a little bit more of the pay to the touring band because hopefully they pay it forward on the other end. When our bands are going to LA, maybe they make a little more because they're on the road. So it's just little stuff and staying organized and showing up. I mean, I think he's one of the only bookers that actually pretty much went to all of his shows. I never met anybody else in that realm that was doing that, like ever. A booker and a promoter should probably know who their bands are. They should know what their music sounds like. They should care about the future of that project. Yeah. And that's how you get more bands to come to you. Because like you said, like, you know, you get uh, mutual connections or you get recommendations from another band or an artist. So like, hey, yeah. you know what? Trixie Rasputin, she knows what she's doing. She's done a great job promoting, you know, our gigs and stuff like that. She listens to our music. She knows what we're all about. Yeah. I mean, I do that for fun, you know, and that's why it's so cool for me to be doing this now professionally because I already love it so much. Now you talked about how, you know, being a promoter, you're constantly on social media, creating these like events. Now I recently watched on Netflix, the social dilemma. Now, mm. when do you feel like it's healthy to take like a social media break? And I know it's hard because, you know, that's what you do for a job practically. Yeah, that's a good question. I saw that uh, movie and was like, oh my God, I'm getting off of all of them today. You know, it's it's really crazy how much the people that invented this technology are afraid of it. 
And I can see why, because when that movie came out, we were just coming out of this insane political environment that's been what it is for the past 20 years, really. It's just been kind of like messy. So I think that when they talk about its damaging potential for the way that we think and all of that, I see it. I think for what we're doing, it's really, really helpful. And that's why I try to keep things like, I used to be a lot more political online. I try to keep that out of it because I just don't feel like it's necessary or helpful. I'm a lot happier when I don't engage with those kinds of posts. What I'm doing with the promotions makes me happy. I want to make other people happy. You know, I'm just trying to spread joy and information about where to go and what's new and what's exciting and fun rather than, you know, produce any feelings of negativity. I don't want anything to do with that when it comes to my work or when it comes to my friends and my social life. So, I mean, I take a break from social media when I'm at a show. It's like I might record some a little bit of the bands while I'm out or I might take photos, but I'm not sitting in a corner, like using Facebook while a band's playing. That is my escape. Being out with friends is my escape. Would I like to unplug for two weeks and be on vacation in Hawaii or something? Like definitely, but I think that I would miss it because I feel like I have a fairly healthy relationship with the social media platforms because I know the people that I talk to on there in real life. I'm not just in a, a pseudo world. It's like, it's just a supplement to the real world that I live in. It's a place where I can message. It's a place where I can share things and where people can share things with me. So I think if people see it from that point of view, it doesn't have to be, you know, the end of the world. Let's say one of the bands that you're promoting makes it big, like huge. Like what would you like them to say about you? I think that will happen. That's how much I believe in the bands that I'm working with. It happens all over again where I go, oh, this will be the band. It's like every time I think, God, you know, I've found them like I know this band's going all the way to the top and then I'll think that again. So, but, you know, I'd be happy and so proud of any of them and all of them to just, you know, get going on their journey and do the whole thing. I mean, what I hope they would say about me is that we're still friends and that that helped them get their start because I think that's all I really want to do is help people like, you know, have the best life they can. And if that means being in a touring band that plays shows all over the world, then why wouldn't I want to push the babies out of the nest? You know? Yeah. That's such a sweet message. And, you know, like I said, like I have another podcast that I strictly, you know, focus on interviewing musicians and sometimes I'll interview like an artist. I'm like, this is the one, this is the one that's going to, you know, be the breakthrough. And then maybe they'll look back and like, Hey, I was on this, you know, girls podcast, you know, when I hit, had this like one single and stuff. Right. And I think people do remember that. Like if you were to ever see them down the road, of course, I think that connections we make with people stay with us our whole lives. Sometimes when you don't even realize you've done that, you know, it's just important to do what you love and help other people do what they love. You can't lose. Now, what is something that you're constantly learning doing what you do? And what advice would you give to someone who wants to follow similar in your footsteps? You know, I would say be really organized, you know, writing things down. One thing that I'm always working on is remembering people's names. Don't expect that anybody's going to care about who you are. 
initially, you have to come to the table with a plan and you have to basically be ready to say, here's why I can be useful to you. You know, like come at it from a perspective of service. So, you know, kind of understanding the role that you play in the whole thing, paying attention and making time for those little details. That's great media advice. Now let's talk about the bands you represent, any upcoming shows that they're having, and how could they find out more about what you do? Like, you know, plug in your socials. So the upcoming shows, Wednesday the 15th, there's another show at the Knockout with Wicked Pricks and Angelo Tamandel and Rose Hayes. So those are two bands and an artist that I just think are exceptional. And I feel like everyone in the whole city should be there. <laughs> just because I, I just think it's going to be a lot of fun. October 1st at Amato's, the Lucys are going to play. They're a great band and they're releasing music. So that's an album release show. The 9th of October is another album release for Manos Lindas. That show will also feature a band from Oakland called Ego. And they do hip hop music. So this is the first time that I'll be booking a band that kind of gets outside of the rock and roll genre. The Sam Chase show in November is his birthday show. So that's on November 11th. And that's at Bottom of the Hill. It's a big venue. So everyone can still get tickets to that. And there'll be a lot more promo coming out in the next two months. But I expect because it's his birthday and just all the things that he's doing that people will want to be there. Analog Dog will play and the Live Oaks. So it should be a great party. Right now, I only have the Facebook page and the Instagram page. And those are both at Trixie Rasputin Presents. So easy to find. We both know Leanne Kelly of New Spell. Oh, right. She's awesome. And I booked her before just as a solo artist and been completely blown away by her act. You know, because I play keyboards too, watching someone do what she was doing was like the most fascinating thing ever. For people who don't know, she is a very talented. I would call her a multi-instrumentalist because of what all the things she was managing with her synthesizer and looping and singing. I just remember the sounds she was making were so impressive because I didn't know how she was doing it, even though I could look at her setup and go, okay, well, I know what these instruments are. It's the way that she's able to combine those sounds and her voice is so beautiful and her essence and Aura are really, really cool. Thank you so much, Trixie, for your time. Thank you. Wasn't Trixie Rasputin such a down-to-earth person? I hope you enjoyed part two of the interview. And the song that you heard right before the continuation of our conversation was Zelma Stone and her song Fly, just another artist on Trixie Rasputin's roster of artists she promotes in the Bay Area. So make sure you follow Trixie Rasputin on all social media platforms at Trixie Rasputin Presents. And definitely check out her list of artists uh, that she's promoting because they may be having a Bay Area show. And we highly recommend you attend because, you know, live music is always fun. And of course, follow us on at KCSS919, the Valley's True Alternative. I appreciate you warriors always tuning into my podcast, whether it's Woman in Media or my jam on it. So I promise that my next guest is going to be an artist herself. She is 19 years old 
old, born to German parents from Antigua. And that's all I'm going to reveal to you. So you're going to have to tune in to KCSS to find out who that is. But I promise you, you are going to love her and her music. Until then, hasta la vista from your host, Chanel.